Well, beloved, we are coming now to the closing chapters of the book of John. And while the study has been an awesome, awesome study, I want you to know that next week Donna will be bringing the word, so this will be my last time to teach you in this semester. And I just want to bless you all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and thank you for being a part of our study, for those of you who are attending our campus in person and for those who are studying online. I declare and pray that God will bless you, encourage you, strengthen you, urge you on, and that you will respond becoming a more faithful student of the Word of God, more surrendered, more determined to walk in practical righteousness and personal holiness. God, we are praying that you will raise up an army of warriors of faith, and would you begin, Lord Jesus, with all of us. Now, if you'll open your Bibles, please, we're in John chapter 20, beginning in verse 19. And beloved, we're at the place where the disciples now are locked in what we believe would be the upper room. And they're terrified because of what has just happened to Jesus Christ. This is Sunday night, Resurrection Day. Mary Magdalene and other women have come to them to tell what they have seen. Mary tells about seeing the risen Lord. We know that the disciples who met the Lord Jesus, followers of Christ who met him on the road to Emmaus, they have come to bring glad tidings to the disciples, and yet the disciples are struggling to believe in the resurrection. Even though they've been with the Lord for three and a half years and been given a, a front row seat as he taught and as he ministered, even though they've seen things with their own eyes and heard with their own ears, beloved, you've got to try to enter into this dreadful time as they are watching what is unfolded. They were looking to Jesus to set up an earthly kingdom. They had a hard time bridging the earthly with the spiritual. And they believed even up to the time of the cross, most of his followers were believing that he would overthrow Rome and that he would set up his kingdom for the Jews and he would restore them from their captivity. And so when the cross happened, it rocked their world. They could not make that fit into the narrative they had come to believe. Not because Jesus had not been teaching them, but they just simply couldn't connect the dots. And the resurrection, they really had no room in their theology at this point for a resurrected Jesus. Even though he had taught them that he would be dead and in the tomb for three days and then rise from the dead. And so now it's Sunday night. The day has passed with confusion and anxiety and fear and misery and grief. And that's where we pick up in our story. If you'll look with me in John chapter 20, beginning in verse 19, this is what I call the peace that he promised. And look with me. And so when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, that is it's Sunday evening, resurrection day, and when the doors were shut where the disciples were, and that in the original language means they were bolted, padlocked, if you will, they were locked in for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them both his hands and his side. And the disciples then rejoiced when they saw the Lord. And so Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you as the Father has sent me, I also send you. 
And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, their sins will not be... Excuse me, let me try that again. Verse 23. If you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, theirs have been retained. This is what I call the peace that he promised you got to understand the disciples were scared to death. They assumed that what had just happened to Jesus Christ would happen to them. They believed most likely that the temple police were already on the hunt for them. They were keenly aware of what had just happened. They saw the Sanhedrin that had plotted Jesus' murder. They hated him and wanted to see him put to death. They were able to circumvent their own judicial system and somehow were even able to successfully manipulate the Roman judicial system and to get Pilate to set a guilty man free and to sentence an innocent man to death. And of course, any hope they had that possibly they could uh, retain their anonymity had vanquished because just several days before, Peter had been recognized three times when he was there at the uh, courtyard, the servant girl at Capernaum's, uh, uh, at, um, I'm sorry, there at the courtyard um, of the trials, the little servant girl said, I know you, you're one of his. And of course, Peter denied that. And then the soldiers that were warming themselves against, around the fire said to Peter, we know you, you were with him. And of course, he denied that. And then in what is a divine twist, one of the relatives of Malchus, now you remember Malchus was the one whom Peter cut off the ear, probably trying to take off his head, but cut off his ear and Jesus restored that ear. But Malchus had a relative who had been in the garden that night and he recognized Peter and he said, no, no, I'm sure of it. You're one of his disciples. So all of the disciples knew that they were, beloved, marked men. And they had to assume that what had happened to the Lord Jesus would soon happen to them and so they were hidden away and the Bible says they were very afraid for the fear of the Jews they were afraid of the chief priests the Sanhedrin and the temple police that they might possibly be coming after them and if you go into the other accounts we know that Mary Magdalene ran and told the disciples we studied that last week in John chapter 20 but if you look in the Luke account the the Emmaus uh, disciples that met the Lord on the Emmaus road and he revealed himself to them. They ran to tell the disciples. Peter and John surely would have shared what they saw in the empty tomb. And yet these men, because of their great fear and the horrible grief they were experiencing, simply could not believe. In fact, in Mark's gospel tells us that when the disciples who had been on the Emmaus road shared with them what they had seen, they did not believe them either. Now, the recent catastrophic events of the cross, even though Jesus had been teaching them about it, it was clouding their understanding. It was creating a false narrative not based on the truth. And, beloved, it was leading them to an incorrect conclusion. And I'll just pause here for a moment and step out of the story to just tell you that, beloved, this is why 
personal Bible study, becoming Bible literate is so important, beloved. You and I need to know the truth. We need to hide it in our hearts so that we might not sin against the Lord. We need to have it on the tip of our tongue. It says of the virtuous woman that she opened her mouth in wisdom. How did that wisdom get there? Beloved, she put it in through study of the word. And in these days, especially in these days where confusion and fear and anxiety are at an all-time high, we who name the name of Jesus Christ must know the Word of God. We must be students of the Word as well as engaged in the community of our faith family, hearing solid preaching and Bible teaching. But beyond that, beloved, that's simply not enough. We need to become personal students of the Word of God. I'm going to leave that point because it's so obvious that it's imperative. What happened with the disciples is they did not know the truth. And because of that, they weren't able to believe the truth. And because of that, we find them locked down and terribly afraid. But the Bible says then suddenly Jesus stood in their midst he stood in their midst and he spoke shalom peace be with you a very typical jewish greeting and yet now after the cross and the resurrection it has a whole new meaning as he's speaking to them as he's blessing them with the the peace that passes all understanding oh beloved he speaks to them peace now it's incredible but it's over in the Luke account that it says that when they saw him because of the unconventional way that he suddenly appeared through a locked door in their midst they thought he was a ghost or a spirit and they were even more afraid and Jesus spoke to them words reassuring verse 20 he showed them both his hands and his side and the disciples then rejoiced when they saw the Lord And again, he spoke, peace be with you. Isn't that just like him? To come to us at a time of great fear and speak his peace. Beloved, the peace of God. The peace of God flooded the heart and soul of the disciples. And they realized Jesus was alive. He had risen from the dead. And we need to be reminded that he is in our midst, in the middle of every anxious thought, in the middle of every difficult situation, in the middle of everything that frightens us, the Prince of Peace is in the midst. He is in us. He's given us his word and beloved over and over and over in the scripture. We are given the admonition, do not fear the Lord is my light and my salvation whom shall I fear the Lord is the defense of my life whom shall I dread Psalm 27 verse 1 he will not fear for evil tidings his heart is steadfast trusting in the Lord Psalm 112 7 oh I could just go on and on but perhaps one of my favorites is found in Luke chapter 12 verse 32 do not be afraid little flock Don't you love that? Do not be afraid, little flock. For your Father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. 
Beloved, just as he spoke peace to those early disciples in the midst of their fear, he is speaking to us today. It's our word for today from him. Peace, peace, do not be afraid. Oh, little flock. Jesus is saying, I'm the good shepherd. I know you by name. I call you. You know my voice, and I speak peace. I bring you tidings of peace. And, beloved, we don't have to fear. Why? The Bible says in 1 John 4, 18, perfect love casts out fear. Oh, beloved, we don't have perfect love in and of ourselves, but it's God's perfect love for us that allows us to rest in his grace in his mercy, in his sovereignty. Oh, may you be reminded, no matter what is troubling your soul this morning, the Prince of Peace is blessing you with his peace today. And he is standing in the midst of whatever your circumstances are that are troubling you. He is there in the midst. That's our Jesus, the Prince of Peace Just before going to the cross, one of the last teachings he gave the disciples was found in John 16, verse 33. These things I've spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage. I've overcome the world. Beloved, don't give in to fear. Stand against it. Cast down those vain imaginations and every thought that is exalting itself against the true knowledge of God. Use the word of God and the spirit of God to stand strong, be strong, and be courageous in these days. These are challenging days. I told you before that because I am such a sanguine personality, that the lockdown was especially difficult for me, even though I tried to embrace it with all the enthusiasm I could muster. But, beloved, being separated from my family, not able to see them, being separated, and it was wisdom, but being separated from my church family, my faith community, my home base, where week after week for the last 40 years has been the place I have come to regain my spiritual equilibrium by the solid preaching of the word of truth by having to shortcut last semester and finish up online. Beloved, Donna and I came in and taught. We were glad to do it, but we taught, do you understand, with no audience. Mr. Stockdale came week after week when it was my turn to speak. An audience of one. This room was so empty it echoed when I spoke and my husband would try to fill it up with encouragement. As he said in the audience, to affirm me and encourage me on, but somehow just walking into this darkened church during those times of such radical shutdown. And again, it was wisdom. It was absolutely wisdom. But beloved, we are built for community. And when the faith family had to be separated and sent into our homes and locked down and shut down, I've got to tell you, my sanguine soul suffered greatly during that time. I missed my people. These are my people. And just being in the presence on Sundays 
And just being in your presence on Tuesday urges me on in the faith. We're living in difficult days, no doubt. But we must fight hard against the fear that the enemy is sowing. Beloved, Satan and his minions have seized on this pandemic and he is working overtime in the lives especially of strong believers to bring despair and discouragement, even depression. And we must stand strong against it. And our Lord is saying to us, peace be with you. And then he tells the disciples, as my Father has sent me, I'm sending you. And he breathed on them the Holy Spirit. Beloved, he announces to them, he commissions them for the task that now they were to take up. The mantle of evangelism and discipleship has fallen to them to train others that they might train others that they might train others. And he commissions them to go, even as the Father had sent him, to go to take the word of God and to share Christ to all the nations, to the uttermost parts of the world. And because this task is not humanly possible apart from the Holy Spirit, he breathed on them the Holy Spirit. Now this was most likely just a harbinger of what would happen in just a few short weeks on the day of Pentecost when the Spirit of God would descend after the ascension of Christ and that the believers, every individual believer would be in dwelt by the spirit of the living God but he tells his disciples the task at hand is greater than any of you are up for in your own strength you need the spirit of God and he breathed on them the spirit of God and he reminded them that as you go when people receive Jesus by grace through faith you can assure them on the authority of the word that their sins have been forgiven by him and they have eternal salvation in Jesus Christ. For those who reject him, their sin remains. Beloved, this is an incredible time and the, the awesome thing is that Thomas, one of the disciples, was not there. So the next thing I want you to see is what I call the proof that he provided. Look with me in verse 24. But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, which means twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples were saying to him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the imprint of the nails and put my finger in the place of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. After eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas was with them. Jesus came, the doors having been shut, again padlocked, and he stood in their midst. And for the third time to them, he says, peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, reach here with your finger and see my hands and reach here with your hand and put it in my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, oh, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said, because you've seen me, have you believed? Blessed are they who did not see and yet believe. 
believed. Eight days Thomas has wrestled with doubt. His doubt was nearly his undoing. It caused him, as a follower of Christ, to operate in unbelief. And he told the others who had testified they had seen the risen Lord, he was not going to believe it until he saw it with his own eyes. He made a determination in verse 25, I will not believe until I've seen it with my own eyes. And the Lord appeared eight days later so graciously, so gently. And his attention immediately went to the neediest man in the room that's so like our Lord who comforts and cares for us even when we're struggling in unbelief, even when we're lacking faith. He comes to us to provide that faith, to build that faith, to encourage us, to inspire us, to urge us on in our walk with him. But have you ever wondered, where was Thomas? Where had he been? We know from the text that he missed the first post-resurrection appearance of Jesus to his disciples. He wasn't there. He missed hearing Jesus commission them, and he missed being a, a recipient of the Holy Spirit. Where was he? What was so important that it had caused him to leave the comfort and care of like-minded men that he had been living with for three and a half years? What caused him to leave them and go anywhere? What was so important? Some commentators think he might have returned home to Galilee, but why? Why? He'd been traveling with the Lord for three and a half years. What was it that caused him to leave that place and to miss out on such a staggering blessing? Beloved, may I just simply encourage you Beware of being absent from your post. Thomas missed what God had for him because he was not where he should have been. He left the assembly of the disciples and walked away, missed this incredible blessing, and I just began to wonder what blessings have you and I missed out on because we simply weren't where we were supposed to be? I relayed to you the story last week, one of my favorites of Mary and Martha, uh, Mary of Bethany. And I told you this story, reminded you of a very familiar story. Most of us can relate with Martha. But Martha was in the kitchen worried about what to feed the Lord while Mary was sitting at his feet. And I told you using my sanctified imagination that I believe that was the time when the Lord told her very clearly that the cross was at hand, that he would suffer a brutal, horrible death on the cross, but that he would go die and go to the tomb, but on the third day he would be raised. And Martha was in the kitchen, all wound up about what to fix for the Lord. While Mary was being fed spiritual food of which she knew not of, and she missed it. She missed it. She could have had it if she'd simply set aside that elaborate meal she was preparing, offered the Lord something very simple, set at his feet, leaned in close, 
and let him teach and whisper his truth to her heart. And now we see Thomas, basically the same type experience that Thomas, eight days of struggling in unbelief and doubt. And beloved, he didn't have to do it. He could have been there had he stayed where he should have been in the company of the community of believers. If he'd stayed there, beloved, he would have saved himself those eight days of struggle. Oh, that you and I might be very careful to be where we're supposed to be. Hebrews tells us, let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but encouraging one another. All the more as we see the day drawing near. Several times we're told not to grow weary in our well-doing, but during the pandemic, beloved, I often caught myself just growing so weary of doing the next right thing. And somehow when I would take that to the Lord, he would help me reorder my thoughts and reorder my steps and bring me back to that place where the peace of God that passes all understanding was guarding my heart and mind in Christ Jesus by his spirit and through his word. As a child of God, doubt is dissolved, beloved. When we get into the word of God, by the word and through his spirit, he will minister to us. Otherwise, we're often, beloved, overwhelmed and deceived by our own emotions. Sometimes our past life experience, what we assume is going to happen, sometimes that's the point that keeps taking us down. Sometimes it's prevailing circumstances, difficult circumstances that cause us to grow weary and to become afraid. And sometimes it's the lie of the enemy and perhaps sometimes it's all of the above. The enemy has moved in, as I said earlier, and he has sown seeds of discord and disunity he has sown fear and anxiety even among strong believers. And I believe God's word for us is to come back into the place where we can hear him speak. Peace be with you. Well, he invited Thomas to come and touch his wounds. The Bible does not record if Thomas did or not. We can I believe, safely assume he did not. I believe he fell on his face before the Lord and declared, My Lord and my God. And while Jesus was very grateful that Thomas had come to this place, he gently rebuked him. Because you've seen me, have you believed? Blessed are they who did not see and yet believe. And beloved, that blessing extends to all of us who have come to faith in Jesus Christ, though we do not see him, we believe in him. First Peter 1.8 says, though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him, now you believe in him. And you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Well, that's the peace that he promised and the proof that he provided. And the last thing I want you to see with me is what I call the purpose. Look in chapter 20 beginning in verse 30. And therefore many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Here John spells out 
his purpose for writing this book. He said there were many signs that Jesus performed in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. In John 21, 24, Jesus said, uh, John said, there were many other things which Jesus did, which if they were written in detail, I suppose that not even the world itself could contain the books that were written. John, under the authority of the Holy Spirit, has chosen just a few of these signs, and he has determined that the signs he has written about and included in his gospel were written to underscore the deity of Christ, that we may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and believing in him might have eternal life in his name. That's the purpose John gives us for writing the book. Now, he inserts this purpose right after this story of doubting Thomas. And I believe it is to encourage us not to, as Thomas did, rely on what we can see and touch, but rather underscoring the fact that we've been called to walk by faith and not by sight. A direct contradiction to what Thomas demanded. And gently the Lord provided and affirmed him, but rebuked him at the same time. Beloved, that we might know the word of God, that we might receive the word of God, that we might live according to the word of God. Jesus was the God-man. He was fully human and fully divine. His humanity did not in any way diminish his divinity, and his divinity did not in any way diminish his humanity in his incarnation. And because Christ lived, died, rose again, now seated at the right hand of the Father, the Bible says he's ever living to make intercession for us, we can trust him as our high priest who understands us in our humanity. He knows we're frail as dust. He understands, and beloved, when you and I struggle, he is gracious and he is kind. But beloved, you and I need to do our part as students of the word of God, that we might study the word of God, that we might hide it in our heart, that we might have it on our tongue, that we might live in the reality of Jesus Christ and not be tossed like waves, not be tossed like little children, not indulging the flesh, but rather crucifying the flesh and living alive to Jesus Christ. Oh, hallelujah, what a Savior. I woke up early this morning, sometime around 4 o'clock, and those of you who know me well know that I am not a morning person. You also know that I'm a person who requires an awful lot of sleep. I'm an early to bed and late to rise person. I am not a morning person, evidently not so much of a night girl anymore either. Somewhere around noon, I seem to really really hit my stride. And by three, it seems like I'm on a downhill slope. Some of you are understanding what I am talking about. And the rest of you, you morning people, God love you. I believe you get more done. I believe you hit the ground running, but I just need you to understand there are some of us who are not in your camp. Now, we're, you're my people, but you, you, you need to understand we're not all created that way. 
And so when I woke up at 4 o'clock, it was so unlike me to do that. And so as I laid in bed, I was going over my notes in my head, and I was running through this message and running through this lesson, and I was just glorying in the fact that Jesus Christ is the Prince of Peace. And I began to recite the names of the Lord. And I got so excited, I could not make myself calm down and go back to sleep. And somewhere early this morning, I got up and made this list. Beloved, Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And I want to tell you, whatever circumstance you're in, whatever situation you find yourself in, whatever difficulty that you are struggling with, financial, health, relational, whatever it is, I'm telling you, your Lord is saying to you, peace, peace, I give you my peace. The scripture says he is the Alpha and Omega, the author and perfecter of our faith. He is the bread of life. He is the light of the world. He is the door. He is the good shepherd, the resurrection and the life. He is the way, the truth and the life. He is the true vine. He is the Son of Man and Son of God, Chief Cornerstone, Chief Shepherd, Consolation of Israel, Creator of all. He is the Deliverer. He is the Dayspring. He is faithful and true, our great High Priest. He's the Head of the Church, the Holy One of God. He is the exact image of God. He is the Great I Am, the Emmanuel, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He is Jehovah. He is the one true God. Lamb of God, who was slain before the foundation of the world, and Lion of the tribe of Judah, Lord of all and Lord of glory, mediator, Messiah, our hope and our peace, the only begotten Son of the Father, our Redeemer, the risen Lord, the rock, the rose of Sharon, the sacrifice for our sins, and not ours only, but the sins of all of the world. He is the Savior, the Word, which became flesh and dwelt among us. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, Bright and Morning Star, Repairer of the Breach, Lifter of our Head, the Great Physician. And beloved, He is the soon coming King. Oh, He's all this and so much more. He alone is worthy of our praise, our surrender, our devotion. He is Prince of Peace. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, as we just ponder in this quiet moment who you are. Lord, as we let the names roll over us, May they settle into our hearts in the deepest place of our spirit. And Father, may we rejoice and be glad the Prince of Peace has come. Lord, in the name of Jesus, I'm asking that you speak peace to troubled hearts. I know these are difficult days. I know these are challenging times. I know people are wrought with fear, and rightly so. It's troubling times, Lord. It is. It is. But Lord, help us to lift up our eyes set them firmly upon the Lord Jesus Christ, the author and finisher of our faith. 
You have not left us as orphans. You have sent us the spirit of the living God. And he indwells each one of us who named the name of Jesus Christ. And Father, I'm asking for every one of my sisters and for myself that you would help us, Lord Jesus, to lean in heavily on you. To walk in the spirit, taking death to self, being crucified with Christ on a daily basis so that the life we live is the life of Christ lived in and through us by the power of the Spirit of God. Lord, by the authority of your word, I speak against every spirit of darkness. He is binding some of our people, Lord Jesus, with unspeakable things, and I pray against it. In the name of Jesus, by the authority of your word, I bring the shed blood of Jesus Christ against every demonic spirit, against addiction, any thoughts of suicide, depression, despair, hopelessness. Speak peace. Speak peace, Spirit of the living God. Speak peace to all who are in this place, for those who are online with us, for those who will hear this message. Father, will they step into the peace that passes all understanding? You are our peace. Through you, you have made peace with God, reconciled us. You paid the penalty for our sin. You've restored us, redeemed us, renewed us, ransomed us from the marketplace of sin, broken the power of sin in our life, and one day will take us to glory to be with you forever where we will even be away from the presence of sin. And Lord, all of us cry out, even so, come, Lord Jesus. Father, in this moment, may the peace of God rule in our hearts and minds. All glory, all praise, all honor to you, our great Prince of Peace. Lord, we're surrendering everything to you now, that we might walk in the fullness of Christ. And I pray with a fresh commitment and devotion that though we have not seen you, we would continue to love you in the fullness of Jesus Christ. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, to him who is able to present you faultless before the throne, to that one be all glory and power and dominion. To that one be all glory. Jesus, we love you. We desire to be made more and more like you. And until that day when we see you face to face, oh, Lord, may we be found faithful. In Jesus' name we pray.